A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome to the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist, where today I am discussing the second half of a two-part series focusing on the different types of mental health professionals in the United Kingdom. For context, these two episodes developed out of some anecdotal experiences I've had where I felt that people have confused what I do with what a psychiatrist does. Additionally, even I have oftentimes wondered what the difference is between what I do versus what a psychotherapist does versus what counsellors do. So, I thought I would dedicate some time to highlighting these differences between the three professions. In sharing these plans on social media, some followers got in touch requesting that their professions within the field of mental health care also be acknowledged. And so, in the first episode, which if you are interested is episode 28, I talked about the professions that I would consider fall within psychiatric care, namely psychiatrists, nursing staff, including registered mental health nurses and healthcare assistants, occupational therapists and social workers. In today's episode, I'm going to focus on mental health professionals that encompass what could be considered talking therapies. So today, just in case it's not already obvious, I'm going to be talking more specifically about the professions of counsellors, psychotherapists and psychologists. Now, I wasn't quite sure where to start with this episode because I couldn't quite figure out the order of things. In researching and writing this episode, there seemed to be more certainty around what a psychologist does, while there seemed to be more of a fuzziness and overlap between that of counsellors and psychotherapists. If there are any counsellors and psychotherapists listening and are offended by this, I don't mean to offend, but the fuzziness might become clear as the episode progresses. Initially, I was going to start off talking about psychologists, mainly because I am one and it's usually easier to talk about the things you know, right? Although, I will admit that there are some things that I've learnt about in relation to psychologists, but I won't give those away just yet. However, as it transpires, it seems to me that the best way to highlight the distinction between all three professions is to start with counsellors, move through to psychotherapists, and finally on to psychologists, as there seems to be a bit of a building on from one to the next, although it's not quite nearly as linear as that. I mean, thinking about it now, I probably should have just invited a counsellor and a psychotherapist onto the podcast to help me out. But we learn, right? On that note, if I don't get all of it quite right, please let me know. But also, please forgive me, my intention is to provide clarity around the different professions, not diminish one and overstate the importance of another. So, let's start with counselling then. In looking for definitions to what a counsellor is, I visited a few websites. Firstly, the National Counselling Society notes that counselling is a type of talking therapy that allows a person to talk about their feelings, needs and problems in a safe, structured, confidential setting. The foundation of effective counselling is providing clients with a professional therapeutic relationship based on non-judgmental respect and offering empathic understanding. Counsellors may employ a number of additional ways of working to further support their clients' healing and development. Similarly, the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy notes that people seek counselling to help them resolve emotional, psychological and relationship issues. Clients may be experiencing difficulty and difficult and distressing events in their life, such as bereavement, divorce, health problems or job concerns, or they may have more general underlying feelings of anxiety or dissatisfaction with life. It goes on to further say that counselling involves a series of formal sessions where the therapist and the client talk about the client's issues and feelings. 
Even short-term therapy typically involves 6 to 12 sessions. The sessions take place at regular agreed times in a safe private place where the client and therapist will not be overheard or interrupted. Very important that. Now, from what I can tell, there are different stages of training that one can do to become a counsellor, which can take three to four years. For example, the BACP notes three stages of training, with the first being an introduction to counselling, which helps with gaining the basic counselling skills. The website doesn't note what those are, but I am guessing that they might be skills like active listening and motivational interviewing. The first stage also provides an overview of what further training will involve if a fuller commitment is made. The second stage of training is getting a certificate in counselling skills which, pro which provides a deeper understanding of counselling theories, ethics and self-awareness. The website also notes that this training may also be useful if your job involves advising or helping people, even if you don't plan to become a therapist. So I'm guessing that if you only have training up to stage two, you can't call yourself a counsellor proper. This can only happen if someone has done the core tr practitioner training, which is noted on the BACP website as the third stage of training and provides skills, knowledge and competence to work as a counsellor or psychotherapist. See, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. Counselling and psychotherapy are often spoken about interchangeably. Now, while this might not be 100% accurate, from a browse through the directory of institutions that provide training for counselling listed on the BACP website, it seems that the two primary therapeutic modalities that are offered for counsellors are that of integrative counselling and person-centred counselling. Person-centred counselling, or, or the person-centred approach rather, was developed by Carl Rogers in the 1940s, who believed that, given the right conditions, a person, a person can reach their full potential and become their true self, which he referred to as self-actualization. I'm assuming that this is of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These three conditions are unconditional positive regard, which involves showing complete support and acceptance of a person, no matter what that person says or does. Congruence, where the therapist is real and or genuine, open, integrated and authentic during their interactions with the client and empathic understanding, which is the therapist's ability to understand sensitively and accurately the client's experience and feelings in the here and the now. The BACP notes that, with a person-centred counsellor, you'll be encouraged to bring your own issues to the session. The counselling is led by you and not directed by the counsellor. Many clients with no prior knowledge of counselling believe that counsellors will sort their problems out for them. A person-centred counsellor will help you explore your own issues, feelings, beliefs, behaviours and worldview so that, you so that you can become more self-aware and achieve greater independence. Integrative counselling, on the other hand, is a form of counselling that draws upon techniques from different types of therapy and may include elements of the person-centred approach just mentioned. Alongside this, integrative counsellors may also draw upon elements of psychodynamic therapy as well as cognitive behavioural therapy. To briefly elaborate on these, psychodynamic approaches involve bringing awareness and attention to your subconscious, the parts of the mind that are just below the surface and that are automatic, which we pay less attention to, but have really fascinating influences on the way we behave. While the CBT approaches will look at thoughts, feelings and behaviours and help you to change some of these ways that are unhelpful using a variety of practical strategies and tools, such as journaling, thought diaries, cognitive restructuring and reframing, etc. These are just two examples of modalities that counsellors might use, but I guess it's possible that counsellors can go on to further training and add other modalities to their therapeutic tool belt, as it were. As for psychotherapists, the UK Council of Psychotherapy notes that psychotherapists support people facing challenges in life, whether an emotional crisis such as grief or anxiety, job loss, relationship difficulties and addiction. 
or it may be a sense that something is not right, which, I'm not going to lie, on the face of it, does not seem to be that much different from what was just described about counselling. According to a 2017 Guardian article, the main difference between a counsellor and a psychotherapist is the training, in the sense that, as noted above, one can work their way up to being a counsellor from the ground up with no previous qualifications. However, psychotherapy is more of a postgraduate degree achieved after already completing an undergraduate degree in something else, which interestingly, according to the same article, does not have to be in the field related to counselling or psychotherapy. On this basis, a person will then choose a specific modality of psychotherapy to train in, be that psychodynamic, cognitive behavioural, existential, cognitive analytic, schema therapy, dialectical behavioural, hypnotherapy, just to name a few. At this point, it is also worth noting that there are a few art psychotherapies too, I think that's what they're called, which are rooted, I think, in psychodynamic practice. These would encompass art psychotherapy, which uses art-based materials to allow a person to express or process the things that, they may go that may be going on for them. Music psychotherapy and drama psychotherapy, both of which use music and performance, and performance to do what art psychotherapy does, but just with different expressive mediums. So, it seems then that there's quite a lot of overlap between counsellors and psychotherapists. However, there are a few differences noted. One article from a website called The Counselor's Guide highlights that one of the differences is the length of time one might receive an intervention. That being that counselling is considered a short-term process, lasting weeks or months, while psychotherapy would be, would be considered a longer-term process, more open-ended and ranging from months to years. Another website highlights some further differences by noting that a counsellor is more likely to help with a specific difficulty, current problem or surface issue. Their words, not mine. It goes on to say, an example might include a bereavement or difficulty that is not necessarily rooted in the past. A psychotherapist is more likely to help with more deep-rooted difficulties that affect a client's life. Examples might include abuse or trauma. Now, in relation to this, the same paragraph notes that a psychotherapist or counsellor, however, might help with either type of issue. A psychotherapist might help a client with psychological difficulties in life caused by internal difficulties, whereas a counsellor might help a client with a problem triggered by external circumstances. So, still not 100% distinctive on the differences between the two talking therapies. Overall though, from what I can gather, I think there are potentially three main things that might distinguish a counsellor from a psychotherapist. And I guess it's important to note that this differentiation is on a very general and basic level. The first being the type of training they receive, the second being the length of time that a person would see either one, and thirdly, whether a difficulty is more acute and has the potential to be resolved with some guidance and support, or whether a person has a, long, has a more long-standing psychological difficulty rooted in the past. Now, what about fucking psychologists, eh? Well, according to Wikipedia, you know I love a Wikipedia definition. Psychology is the scientific study of the mind and behaviour. Psychology includes the study of conscious and unconscious phenomenon, including feelings and thoughts. It also goes on to say that as social scientists, psychologists aim to understand the behaviour of individuals and groups. Now, I've spoken at length about the differences between the two main types of psychologists that exist in a previous podcast episode, so if you're interested in learning more about these distinctions, please, please go listen to episode 17 of the show. However, if you can't be bothered, in brief, there are basically academic psychologists and applied psychologists, also known as practitioner psychologists. An academic psychologist is mostly focused on improving the research and evidence base within the field of psychology, and they do this by doing lots of research and will generally remain in the field of academia, for the most part. Teaching, getting further involved in research and helping others learn about or do more research. It's a very helpful and important sector of the field of psychology. 
On the other hand, while applied and practitioner psychologists are also interested in doing research to a degree, they have to do a thesis as part of their doctoral training, they are primarily practitioners in the sense that they, that they take what has been learned about psychology and apply that to human beings in a vast array of settings. According to the Very Well Mind website, there are apparently 20 different types of psychologists. For example, aviation psychologists who study the behavior of pilots and other flight crew members. Aviation psychologists also perform research on airline safety, develop new training equipment, and help select suitable employees. Who the fuck knew that? There are also consumer psychologists, also known as marketing psychologists, who research consumer behavior and develop marketing strategies to promote business. So. Those are the bastards who likely came up with the idea that every once in a while shops just move their shelves around, and consequently, after months of knowing exactly where to go to get your weekly food items with military efficiency, you then have to fart ass around the shops looking for stuff that you want, and then buying additional crap because you're like, oh look, it's two for one on Ginster's pies, when the last thing you need is a Ginster's fucking pie. Anyway, I digress. Without any disrespect to aviation and consumer psychologists, their work is no doubt invaluable, albeit in the case of consumer psychologists somewhat annoying. The psychologists more commonly associated with the field of mental health are likely clinical, health, education, developmental, and counselling psychologists. I would also argue forensic psychologists, but this might not be across all forensic settings. Now. As far as I know, all practitioners slash applied psychologists have to do a three-year doctoral degree where they then go on placement and learn about working therapeutically with the population or within the relevant discipline of psychology. Additionally, these particular practitioners will also be trained in a number of therapeutic interventions which range from, for example, cognitive behavioural therapy, which is the alleged gold standard according to the NICE guidelines, which are the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, systemic family therapy and psychodynamic therapy. In this way, psychologists are also psychotherapists, capable of providing therapy. Because of their level of training, psychologists are also integrative in the way that they think about individual difficulties. And because of their extensive training and exposure to a wide variety of psychological theories, they are able to apply these theories to individuals, staff and work environments. They are also required to think about improvements to services by conducting service evaluations and should theoretically continue to add to the body of research, although this is not often possible given time constraints and busy caseloads. It is worth noting that counsellors and psychotherapists, if working in organisations like the NHS, would likely end up doing this anyway, but these would be additional uh, skills scaffolded to their therapeutic skills, whereas, and as far as I know, these skills are taught as standard on psychology doctoral training. Additionally, it is very important to stress here that in the UK, psychologists are not, I repeat, they are not medically trained and therefore cannot prescribe psychiatric medication. Having said that, when I posted a brief outline of this episode's content on my Instagram page, someone let me know that a psychologist can in fact apply to what is known as an approved clinician, which, according to some guidance from Health Education England, is formally defined as a person approved by the appropriate national authority to act as an approved clinician for the purposes of the Mental Health Act 1983. So an approved clinician is someone that is approved to be an approved clinician. <laughs> I think what this means is that overall responsibility of someone's mental health care used to sit primarily with a psychiatrist. However, more recently, it has been acknowledged that other healthcare professionals, such as psychologists, nurses, social workers, and occupational therapists, can apply to hold this position, which, by all accounts, seems like quite a big task to undertake. 
However, psychiatrists obviously have prescribing powers, as they are medical doctors, remember, but I think under this it's possible for non-medics to apply for prescribing powers. I am aware that nurses can do this, so theoretically, if a psychologist were to apply for approved clinician status, then I think they could also apply to be a prescriber. However, I've not found anything that says this explicitly, nor can I find anywhere where anyone has done this or is doing this. So, if anyone has additional insights, do let me know. Sitting under the umbrella of psychologist, we also have trainee psychologists and assistant psychologists. Very briefly then, a trainee psychologist who is somebody who is currently completing their training to become a registered psychologist. So, everything that I've just discussed about what a psychologist needs to do in order to become a registered practitioner, that's a trainee psychologist. They can effectively hold a caseload of their own to manage and will slowly, over the course of three years, take on more and more clinical responsibility while at the same time attending lectures at uni, completing various academic assignments, all while trying to plan, recruit for, analyse and write a thesis, which is pretty much, in terms of length, a short novel. Assistant psychologists, also known as aspiring psychologists in some respects, are pretty much that. They are assistants to registered psychologists within services who work under the direction and supervision of those registered psychologists. The specific tasks that an assistant psychologist are asked to carry out will vary depending on the nature of the service they work in, but can range from administration and scoring of psychometric assessments, report writing, delivering low-intensity group interventions, and again, depending on the level of skill and experience, may also deliver low-level in individual interventions. Now, in terms of psychologists, counsellors and psychotherapists, you might be wondering how to know if one of them is legit and trustworthy. For practitioner psychologists and art therapists, the art, music and drama therapists, they have to be registered with the Health and Care Professions Council, the HCPC. Also, the term psychologist is not a protected title, therefore anyone can call themselves a psychologist if they want, but can only register with the HCPC as a registered practitioner if they completed an official doctorate in any of the disciplines of psychology already mentioned. Academic psychologists, as stated in episode 17, which I mentioned earlier, don't register with the ACPC, but can, along with practitioner psychologists, apply for chartership with the British Psychological Society. In terms of counsellors and psychotherapists, they technically don't have to register with anyone, and the terms therapist and counsellor are also not protected titles, which again means that if anybody wanted to call themselves a therapist or a counsellor, they could. However, therapists and counsellors are strongly encouraged to register with some form of governing body, such as the BACP, the NCS or the UKCP, all those governing bodies which, whose websites I cited earlier. Also, in order to prove that they have completed some kind of training and have some kind of therapeutic skills, psychotherapists and counsellors will usually have some kind of accreditation from some kind of training body. For example, in the UK, if somebody is trained purely as a CBT therapist, their training would need to meet the standards set out by the British Association of Behavioural and Cognitive Psychotherapies, the BABCP. So, if you're looking to work with a counsellor and a therapist, make sure to check out where, uh, where they are accredited and if they have joined some kind of governing body. And that's it. That's it for today's show. It's possible that this might feel like quite a lot, and I wouldn't blame you if it feels like a bit of information overload. Hopefully, though, I've managed to bring some clarity to the differences between the three professions. As you can see, there's quite a lot of overlap and perhaps only a handful of distinct differences, but there are differences nonetheless. If I have failed to capture those differences accurately, I am sorry, but I tried to read up as much as I could about them all, so if things aren't too clear, then I blame the source material. Additionally, whenever I refer to websites or things that I've read, you can always go check them out within the transcripts I sometimes write for the show. 
For this particular podcast, I put hyperlinks in the relevant sections where I refer to sources. So, if I say something that piqued your interest, please do go back and have a look through the transcript, and you'll find what I'm talking about linked there. And as always, if you've enjoyed the show, then please let me know, either through rating it, sharing it, or come tell me directly. Equally, I am open to hearing your views on what's been discussed. Um, But yeah, until next time, have a good day. Or not, no pressure.